You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our reading this afternoon comes from Acts chapter 13, and we'll begin reading at verse 13. We have here a sermon, the Apostle Paul And like many, in fact, most of the sermons in the book of Acts that are recorded for us by Luke, it centers around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the message that the apostles carried to the world as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and called to proclaim the gospel. The gospel that they proclaimed was the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the effect that that had for those who would hear And believe the good news. And so we'll read this account of the Apostle Paul proclaiming the good news from Acts 13, verse 13. From Pamphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue ruler sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, Children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised to our forefathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. 
For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about the things on the, these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing woman of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's read Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. As we are in Lord's Day 17, we're continuing through the Apostles' Creed and we come to the article about our resurrection. And the Catechism gets right to the point in question answer 45. Let's read that together, our text for this afternoon. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, By his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make a share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, The search for immortality has been a long and frustrating search for the many who have undertaken it, who are looking in the wrong place. It's actually quite fascinating to look at some of the historical reports of kings and wise men, philosophers and scientists who have looked for a magical solution to age and for death. Mankind has long wanted to overcome this obstacle. The alchemists, perhaps you're familiar with them, the fathers of modern chemistry, they searched in vain for that elixir of life. Their quest was famous. They were looking for this elixir of life, some magical potion which could grant to them immortality that would allow them to live forever. One Chinese emperor's pursuit of immortality, pursuit of eternal life, actually killed him as he became convinced that mercury 
was that elixir of life, and he took small amounts of it over a long period of time, which caused him to go first crazy and then to die. A long and frustrating search indeed. And this search continues today. It does. You don't have to read the life section in the newspaper or watch the evening news for long before you hear about the latest discovery or insight that has people speculating about the possibility of a really long or perhaps never-ending life. Perhaps the answer is in our genes. Perhaps the answer is in our having a positive attitude. Perhaps it's an exercise or marriage or sunshine or organic food or... Whatever. Brothers and sisters, the quest for health, for a good quality of living, can be a real benefit to our service in the kingdom of God. But let us not get caught up in this as a quest for immortality, as a quest for a longer or an endless life on this earth. Because... The reality is for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all who find their life in him, you have already found the secret to immortal life. Immortal, everlasting life is found only in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and nowhere else. That's what we, that's what we'll have our attention this afternoon. As we consider the word of God as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll consider it under this theme. In his resurrection, in his resurrection, Jesus Christ conquers death. In his resurrection, Jesus Christ conquered and conquers death. That has an effect for our lives now. We'll see that he conquers the root of all death. So that he conquers spiritual death, that already now in the present, we are brought to life. And we'll see that he conquers physical death. As even though our bodies go to the grave, that is not the end for them. There is hope, even in the death of our bodies. So first, Jesus Christ conquers the root of all death. You see, the problem for so many today who are looking for that elixir of life, that that secret for an everlasting life, is that they're just looking in the wrong place. Just plain looking in the wrong place. You see, for our modern scientific age, we assume, our culture assumes, that what you see is what you get. Right? Existence, what's real is what we can see and touch what we can experiment with, and that there's nothing beyond that. We live in a closed universe. There's only the physical. And so they search in the physical for a solution, the right gene, the right medicine, that one medical procedure that will reverse the effects of age on our body, that one thing that will eradicate the cause of death. But the question is, what is the cause of death? What is the cause of death? Well, God's word reveals precisely what is the cause of death in each and every situation where it occurs. The cause of death in the whole world. 
And that cause is sin. It's in the sin of Adam and Eve. Before sin entered this world, there was no death. It was only after Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell into sin and therefore brought upon themselves and their posterity, indeed the whole creation, the curse of God, that death entered into this world. You can see that in the book of Genesis. God creates the world, he creates life, but after the fall into sin, death comes. And death becomes the resounding theme in those first few chapters of Genesis. You can't get away from it. Cain kills his brother Abel. Lamech promises death to any man who will touch him. Each and every patriarch listed in Genesis 5. You know Genesis 5, that long list of patriarchs, that genealogy? It finishes in the same way, in this the same resounding sentence, this chorus. It says, so and so lived many years became the father of this man. After he became the father of this man, he lived this many years, and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. It's the chorus of Genesis 5, and its crescendo comes in Genesis 6, where God announces his judgment on the world, his judgment of death on the world, through the flood. The cause of death is sin. It is sin that leads to death. It is sin that entered death into the world. And it is a sinfulness that is our experience which continues to afflict us in this way now. And therefore, although it was a profound point, it wasn't an original point when the Apostle Paul, so many years after the fall into sin, announced to the Romans in chapter 6 of his letter to them, And the wages of sin is death. The solution to overcoming death is first to understand what is the cause of death. And when you found that the cause of death is sin, then you understand how the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead overcomes death. In Romans 4, chapter 24, the Apostle Paul states that Jesus Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins in his death. And his resurrection finalized, guaranteed, and confirmed this payment for us, for all who believe in him. That's the point that the Apostle Paul is making. The wages of sin is death. And once sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ, and once Jesus Christ is raised from the dead by the Father, his righteousness is vindicated for all the world to believe in. Sin is paid for. We're justified by his resurrection from the dead as we are united to him and as that death guarantees, finalizes, and confirms the defeat of sin. So too are our sins defeated, paid for, forgiven. The Apostle Paul, in in the, the speech, the sermon that we read in Acts 13, makes that same direct connection. Between the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the justification of sinners. 
Once he establishes the fact of the resurrection for his hearers, he goes directly on to say in verse 38, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified, declared righteous without sin in God's sight. From everything, you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses was a temporary measure to deal with sin. Jesus Christ came to deal with it completely and finally. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, is guaranteed, is finalized for all who would believe. Believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you will be justified, declared righteous in God's sight. Freed from judgment. Where sin is forgiven, the perfect righteousness is given, their death has no hold. The power of death is sin. If sin is forgiven, if sin is wiped away, death has nothing. It may reach, but it reaches in vain. It grasps. Power of death is sin. Where sin is forgiven, the power of death is broken. The wages of sin is death, but Paul goes on to say, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to remember what the true cause of death really is. The health movement in our culture is large and it's growing. It seeks to draw us in. Again, a healthy lifestyle is a great thing to increase your productivity in the service of God's kingdom. But let's not get so caught up in, in new and nifty measures that promised us a taste of immortality. The cause of death is not ultimately in lifestyle, in preventable disease, in health choices, in diet, or anything like that. The cause of death is in our sinful rebellion against the God who made us. And Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our rebellion. Forgiven in Him. And only in Him. So find your life, your immortal, everlasting life, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he's the one who has dealt with the cause of all death. Jesus Christ, when he conquered death, he conquered spiritual death for us. That means that already now we become alive to God. So we mentioned that our culture that seeks immortality through fitness or health or scientific procedure or insight, reveals a materialistic world view. That what you see and touch is what you get. That's what that's what is. That's what exists. They miss or reject that there's more to life than this. And this obviously, as we saw, has consequences for what they believe the cause of death to be. But it also has huge consequences for what you believe life to be all about in the first place. See, the gurus of health and fitness 
of longevity will tell you that a long and prosperous life begins with the changes that you make already now. You can't try to do that later. You have to start now, wherever now is for you. You need to start living your best life now. And and what does that life look like? What's truly important? Well, they'll tell you it's good health. Or it's a positive attitude. Or it's maintaining happiness or whatever. And how do you do that? Well, there's countless ways. You can go to your local bookstore, search it on the internet. Countless ways to help you achieve this best life, this happy life, this good life in the present. But you see, God's word revealing to us that there's more to this world than just what we can see and touch also gives us an entirely different set of priorities. A completely different way of achieving those priorities. Or rather, a completely way in which those things are achieved for us. You see, our lives are more than just physical material. And that means that the death caused by our sin is more than just physical and material as well. Our sinfulness has resulted in spiritual death spiritual death and this death affects us profoundly in the present spiritual death as we become dead to god just like the book of genesis recounts those those physical deaths caused by the fall into sin so does it recount the effects of spiritual death after the fall into sin as well adam blames his wife eve for the fall into sin cain hates his brother abel Lamech promises vengeance in a godlike way upon anyone who would hurt him. Sin abounds. Even in the line of the promise, as the book of Genesis goes on, sin abounds. Abraham fails to trust God to preserve his life and lies about Sarah being his wife. His son Isaac does exactly the same thing. Jacob is a lying, cheating, underhanded scoundrel of a cowardly man for a good part of his life. Jacob's children, save for Joseph, are lying, murdering, and sometimes prostitute visiting ruffians. And this is the line of the promise. That's the line of God's people. You see the effect of sin upon us, upon our lives. That deadness to God that sets in. When we truly examine our lives, we realize that our problems aren't caused by that extra cookie that we ate or our frequent trips to McDonald's or whatever so-called lifestyle choices that we're making. That's not the real problem. Problems that we have are the habits of, of putting ourselves before others, of pursuing our sinful desires, of not being trustworthy in our relationships, in our marriages. And the multitude of ways in which we can neglect our relationship with God. Fundamentally, our problem is that we do not have a heart for God. We have a heart only for ourselves. God's word pierces our heart and states this and, and reveals the state of our spiritual deadness when it says in Ephesians 2, this is the way we were in our spiritual deadness. As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were the walking dead. But God reveals in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the reality of a new life, a completely new life, a changed life, a new heart, a new beginning. Yes, God's word reveals to us the reality of an immortal, eternal resurrection life that begins for us already now. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Acts 13, after Paul declared the forgiveness of sins in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul urges those who hear and respond to continue in the grace of God. Continue in this grace that has been proclaimed to you in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even after Paul and the other disciples, it's really striking at the end of Acts 13, Paul and the the other disciples are expelled from the town. Verse 51, they shake the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And then the surprising verse, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What is that? How do they respond to this rejection in that way? It's by the new life that the Holy Spirit gives them through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters, the reality is that when Jesus Christ conquers the cause of death, when we receive forgiveness of sins, when we are declared righteous in his sight through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning for our lives of service to God. This is just when we, when we become alive, when we become awake, and we are thereafter able to live a life for God, a pleasing life, a, a life of fruitfulness and thankfulness and holiness. You see, when the guilt of sin has been removed from your life, it makes a a change, a real present and lasting change in your life even now. When you've been drawn and adopted into God's family through Jesus' work, it makes a change, a real lasting change in your life even now. When you've been given the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ, it makes a real lasting change in your life even now. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 1, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he continues, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your sinful nature. And he goes on to identify the character traits of the sinful nature and what follows. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, live the life that follows from that. Putting off sin. Living a life that's pleasing to God in holiness, righteousness, and love, and joy, and peace, and patience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our spiritual death has also been defeated. And just like a seed that sits in the ground all winter, doesn't do anything, it's dead. Just like 
that seed begins to receive life-giving water and sunlight. And it, it becomes alive. And it begins to grow. So do we, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, become alive and begin to grow in faith and hope and love as we become alive to God. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. A new life. What he means by that is a a completely different life. Other translations have, we may walk in newness of life. A new life that is ever growing, ever becoming alive more and more. A life that's filled with good works, with love and joy and peace, fruit of the Spirit. Our best life now, the priorities of that are not the shape of our body or our body image, but the unfading beauty of a a quiet and gentle spirit. This best life isn't achieved by perishable things such as gold or silver but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's not accomplished by the power of positive thinking. It's accomplished by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The one who affects this change in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. And so he defeats our spiritual deadness. He makes us alive to God in an ever-growing and increasing way. And finally, through his resurrection, he defeats our physical death. You see, the inconvenient truth about every secret to immortality that has ever been suggested outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course, is this, that it hasn't worked. They suggest many things, but they suggest in vain. The inevitable reality for every sinner until the return of Jesus Christ is that they die. Their bodies decline. Their minds decline. We go the way of all flesh. But the Christian hope, the hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that even this will be undone. Jesus Christ's death-conquering work is powerful, powerful enough to reverse the effects of death even upon our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. He has risen from the dead as a pledge, a guarantee of our resurrection. We who believe in him have the guarantee of his resurrection, as certainly as his tomb lay empty, so certainly one day will ours too. And all who die in the Lord, our loved ones who died in the hope of the resurrection, that will be the truth for them as well. Their tomb will empty. As certainly as we are united to him by faith, so certainly will we be united to him in his resurrection. And Jesus was raised with a transformed, a greater, a glorious body. 
The father not only showed the world that that death had been conquered, but when the father raised Jesus Christ from the dead with this glorious, this great, this powerful body, he made a mockery of death. Jesus died in in weakness, in, in suffering, in pain, in shame. But he was raised in power and majesty and glory. And brothers and sisters, it will be the same with us. It will be the same with us. Think about that. You think about how painful it is to see your loved ones when they die. As their bodies waste away before our eyes. It's so saddening. And it seems so, so wrong. And, and they go to the grave in weakness. Sometimes after suffering. Sometimes even in, in very difficult situations. But they will be raised up in glory. In the glory That Jesus Christ had when he raised from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown in natural body is raised a spiritual body. The victory of Jesus Christ over death is a complete victory. Lifting the body of death from the grave and clothing it with glory and honor to the delight of God the Father in heaven. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a powerful, powerful doctrine. It is hope to our loved ones in this congregation who are presently suffering with the decline of their body and their mind. It is our sure hope for them that Jesus Christ rose from the dead as a sure pledge that they will too. It's a bedrock for us as we die in the Lord. We can stand on that firm foundation that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We will too. It's an anchor for your soul as you struggle in this life with cancer, with chronic disease, with endless pain, with physical disability, mental disability. It's a bedrock of hope. It's an anchor for the soul. Jesus Christ rose from the dead in glory. And you will too. The tentacles of death, they reach out and they seek, they seek to, to hold us at the very core of our existence. But Jesus Christ has redeemed the very core of our existence. He was lifted up from the grave. Victorious over sin and death. Thanks be to God. He has given us victory through his son, Jesus Christ.
Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.